audio. My name is Trevor Strunk. I go on, on Twitter, and I am here with uh, some guy named Mark Normandon. Uh, hi, Mark. Uh, is there something you wanted to talk to me about? Really? That's no. <laughs> some guy? We're back with Mark. Everyone. It's knows my. Mark. It's my Come grand. On. It's my grand return after. I don't know what I, I know do. Like I did like three or four episodes in a year, <laughs> and then. And then you. Then you sort of. Well, you were busy. Yeah. Yeah, it's busy. Yeah, I think I think that's what we'd we'd say. No, everyone. Uh, Mark Mark is back. Everyone knows Mark. This is why I I'm being so arch. Of course, everyone knows who this is. Um, Mark, welcome back. It's so nice to have you back. Thank you. My ego also thanks you. <laughs> how uh, how have you been? What have you What have you been up to? Oh, playing a lot of shoot 'em ups lately, which I guess is just kind of a like response from any time in my life, but it's especially <laughs> true the past couple of weeks. <laughs> yeah, I guess that is true that you always are playing shoot 'em ups. If, if if you're not, I start to worry. Um, <laughs> it's just like those are those are the hard times in your life. Um, you've been playing like a particular kind of shoot 'em up too, which is pretty fun. Um, and we're, we're going to end up talking about that. But I wanted to ask you first: How have your? I mean, I know, but the audience might not. How have your various? Um, newsletters been going how how have you been how have you been feeling about retro xp you know i think it's going pretty well um it's funny it's going well <laughs> in some ways and in other ways it's uh it's bothering me because now it's you know i started with um that uh ranking the top 101 nintendo games which you even graciously had me on to talk about um and i go back and read some of those things now as you always do sure when you write and i'm just like uh, now I've developed something of a style and a way of doing going about these things, and they don't all fit the style. And you, like you can see the beginnings of it, but they're not all there. Yeah, know? yeah. I mean, and it's funny too because like it it feels so much more important than it probably is because and like that that's not to say that your your like perception of it isn't important, but I feel like when you get into those kind of moments where you're like, oh man, this is like not what I wanted it to be. Like this feels so so off from where it finally gets to mm-hmm. like the, the, the amount of people who are, you know, like listening back to, you know, all of your old podcasts or, uh, or like, like reading all your old newsletters. I feel like it's so small. And then also if they're doing that, they really like your work anyway and are just like, Oh yeah, desperate yeah. To find more. So it's like, well, <laughs> if anyone's upset by that, they're, they're scraping the bottom of the, the barrel. So they could, oh, yeah, they I'm the only okay. one, I'm the only one who's upset. Like I had right. someone say, Oh, I thought you would have gone into detail on like this or that, you know, <laughs> um, and it's like, well, yes, that's based on like the like insanity that I have developed Current in, Mark in the in the three years since I wrote this thing that at the time I thought was pretty full of detail. But now I look at that and be like, this is not finished. I must have something else. I must include more. <laughs> this is for tiny babies. <laughs> <laughs> and so, yeah, it's not that I don't think any of the work is like good or anything, but but, but I mean, it's like good problem to have that I've developed more of a reputation, I think, for what you're going to get. So even a game that I like less, I try to go into detail on and I try to contextualize mm-hmm. and games I like more. I run up against uh, Substack, Substack being like, hey, uh, all of this is not going to send in a single email. email. <laughs> like, you need to stop. Break it up, up, buddy. Yeah. <laughs> Which then so like I don't use as much media inside of the articles as i used to because um, of that exact problem yeah because it uses up um it uses up more space than words would have 
I mean, and, that totally uh, so makes sense. I'm going in the opposite direction of the rest of society. And I am like, what if I put more words to read in and less video? <laughs> and then it seems to it seems to be working for you. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I um, do like the newsletter. So, you know, at least at least it's not like the rest of society where they said you need more video and um, you have to then um, in order to when, when you have more video. Uh, you can never have words again. Uh, um, and then you get laid off. Yeah. Yeah. You're not laid off from your news. <laughs> you got laid <laughs> off from your newsletter. I'd be very upset for that you. That would be. Yeah. It's, <laughs> I'd be so it's mad at your boss. I know. What a dick. What an asshole that guy is. Um, I do think it's I mean, it's it's very interesting that you're you're or I guess fortuitous is probably the word I'd, I'd, I'd search for here that your um, you know, your work when you felt like it was a little more um like when you were still kind of getting the hang of it, the fact that, mm-hmm. you know, you were doing the Nintendo top 101 then like that there's, there's something like really interesting about that because I feel like Nintendo is a bit of a gimme subject in some ways for you. Like there's so much to say and so mm-hmm. many games and you gave yourself such a wide berth. Like it's extremely hard to write, but like in terms of finding stuff to say, I don't think you had any trouble. And like, I know from reading it that you didn't have like any trouble, you know, once it was on the page, it may have, there may have been moments. I, I, I don't know, but, um, Actually, I do know. I know there were moments that you just didn't want to write it because <laughs> you told me about it. But um, like, you know, what what strikes me is that now that you're doing stuff like um, like what we we're talking about today with compile, I mean, these are much more um, obscure topics, things that are a little harder to to place and to kind of like talk about because people aren't as familiar with them. And I feel like you know when you have your own style and you're working on stuff like that, it serves you way more mm-hmm. um like not that not that like nintendo doesn't deserve someone like talking about it in in really great prose and i mean honestly i think you've already done that but like the you know it the the idea of having like a very particular way of approaching the material um it serves it when like the audience is going to be like okay what the hell is this <laughs> like i guess i'll just i'll just wait till mark tells me about it, it you know it's, it's kind of the problem that you get with um it's like Tim Rogers, like anyone will anyone will listen to a Tim Rogers or watch a Tim Rogers video, no matter what it's on, because they know Tim Rogers style. Um, and I feel like in the same way, you have sort of that going for you now, too, which is nice. Uh, and it doesn't take four hours to read one of my articles, but <laughs> only hours, <laughs> but only because Substack won't let me. Um, yeah, no, I think that makes sense. Like, um, you know, I love Super Mario Brothers three, but there's only. There's only so much I can say that's like interesting and introductory and like contextualizing to one of the most popular influential games of all time sort right. of thing. Um, whereas the last thing I wrote uh, before we recorded this was uh, Gorby No Pipeline Dasakusen. I, I don't know if that's how you say the last word. Sorry. I Apologies mean, to the I entire would say country was of Japan. The, was the one I'd be worried about. But you said that so confidently that <laughs> I, I well, didn't even question Yasakusen. It's a. Uh, because it's Mikhail, Mikhail Gorbachev. Oh, well, yes, of course. I guess you did, so, you yes. did mention this game to me. But. but like right there, you know, it's OK. So that's the last thing I wrote about. So there's a difference between what I started with was like, let's rank <laughs> mostly a bunch of games people know about. And then I could like go effusive over the top added context for something like Excitebots Trick Racing 
that like me and six other people bought, but everyone who didn't buy it was wrong. Right. <laughs> you know. Well, I also think like you, you know, those were those were my favorite of those of your early writing too. Like like your I, I still think I still remember your your writing on um, Pushmo, um, mm. and on on. I don't think Crystalis was in the top 101, but I remember. No, I wrote about that shortly after, though. Yeah, I think I was that was say, in my first couple of months after when it I might was have like been on my very, very personal. I remember this from when I was a child. Top one, oh, one, but I don't think it's going to be on <laughs> anyone else's. Um, but like, yeah, like I when you're talking about more obscure stuff like that, when it when it's about sort of like the game and why it didn't get picked, why it wasn't popular or why it should have been popular, as you say, like why everyone else was wrong. Um like I think I think your style really rewards that. So talking about what you're talking about now is, uh, you know, I feel I feel like the time has come in your in your in your personal style. You're going to it's absolutely going to help you. Well, I appreciate that. And uh, yeah, course, I think it's 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 felt good. And, um, you know, these anniversary months in these projects have definitely become more obscure is like the wrong word, because there are always people who know these things. Well, like video know games, them a little, right? Like yeah, you're, yeah. you're kind of setting yourself up. You're in a field full of people who are like the biggest nerds you've met. Yeah, they have the same disease that I have. So right. Like, yeah, it's they all fine. love video games. <laughs> well, it's, <laughs> but, it's, it's the problem with your. It's like not the problem. It's the it's the thing you set yourself up with with your other newsletter too. And that like, if you're talking to a bunch of people about labor and MLB, it's your your audience is going to be a bunch of people who are nerds about labor and MLB. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> So, I mean, you know, I started with the Nintendo 101 because it was a big splash. And like you said, it was kind of it gave me like a runway right. um, to to get going. Um, but and then it's like shortly after I did like a Sonic the Hedgehog week because it was the 30th anniversary of Sonic. And That's so like week. I covered three different games. Um, but since then, it's been like. OK, I'm going to do a whole month on like Wario exclusively, which is <laughs> like. Wario's popular, but like Wario as a concept, I think is more popular than Wario games. <laughs> That's probably true. Yeah. Um, and then it was like, okay, I'm going to do a bunch of treasure stuff, and I'm going to do an entire, <laughs> I'm going to do an entire month where the only thing I write about is Bomberman games, <laughs> you know. And now it's okay. I'm doing comp- a compile month, and then next year I'm going to do. I think I only have one anniversary month planned for next year. I might have to do some digging to make another, but I was actually um, a little worried about you during uh, Bomberman month. Well, yeah, uh, that month, uh, that month seemed very hard. <laughs> you, you talked me down from um, trying to rank the top 40 Bomberman games. <laughs> it seemed a little much. Yeah, it's no, it was a stupid, stupid idea. But Listen, that's anyone why I who's mad that I that you didn't get that, you can direct that anger towards me. No, I, it's fine, because like when it came ta- down to it, I was like, I could do this, but at what cost? Like it really kind of you, you got the Dr. Ian Malcolm problem. You, yeah. <laughs> your, your scientists spent so much time asking if they could rank the top 40 Bomberman games. Yeah, it's just like, do I really need to think about where Bomberman Wars ranks within the top <laughs> in the pantheon? <laughs> yeah. And it's like to know with the top what the top 40 are, you know, there are like 80 something Bomberman games. And you know how I am. I would have tried to play, play every single one that was available yeah. so that I could really, well, that's how, really that's how nail it down. Right. Yeah, I don't just take like the 40, you know, or whatever. Um, so, yes, yeah, so that would have been very stupid of me to do. It would have been I think it would have been great and probably people would have enjoyed it. But I would have been a husk of something at the end of it. I will admit um, I would have liked to see you play like, you know, Bomberman. uh 
no densetsu doki doki the you know the the, the, the flip phone only bomberman port or whatever but. Oh, yeah. I, I tried to get the one where they make all the bomberman characters into like um uh like moe girls oh god that's yeah. really good yeah i tried to do that um but i couldn't get i think it only plays on my the version of windows i have is too old like konami updated it um but it was like i made you know uh, a username on like a j- like japanese only website oh yeah uh, no. that konami has like their amusement center thing and you do what you got to do yeah <laughs> And like um, I almost did stuff like that for Compile with D4 because they have the rights to a bunch of Compile stuff and they have Project Egg. Oh, okay. Which is like subscription service, uh, but it gives you access to a bunch of old games um, with Sounds like, like a Windows subscription of service. Them. Yeah, yeah. The only issue is um, they're not always in English. So like I want to play, I wanted to play this Compile game, uh, Wonder Wonder Wonder, which is like a action adventure. <laughs> kind of game i like that it's named such a normal and easy thing to say oh yeah i had to really Wonder pause Wonder. for a second and be like say that the correct way um but you know it's all in japanese and like you need instructions and part of the part of the enjoyment of it is like the character interactions and the dialogue and stuff too so sure of course i mean and that makes it, sense it's like i mean part of like it's it's tricky like i just um i don't i don't i'm not entirely sure what what order this is all going to come out in so forgive me if i'm if I'm saying something everyone already knows or um, well, actually, no, it's going to be it's going to be patron only first. So a lot of you won't, won't have heard it. But like I just um, I talked about Angel's Egg, the anime with uh, with Dia uh, last night. And, you know, one of the things that struck me about Angel's Egg is like that's never gotten a, a U.S. release, really. And mm-hmm. part of me is like, well, you should just like there should just be some, you know, indie theater weirdo who. um who does like a showing of it because mm-hmm. you don't need like there's like seven lines of dialogue you don't need this you don't need the dialogue you could you could just like hand out a pamphlet with like <laughs> what what people say and some of that yeah like some sometimes that is true sometimes it's true that you don't need the dialogue in there you mm-hmm. just need the kind of you could you could you can get away with it but i i agree with you i think like especially in top down or like um, well you'll have to define the genre for us but like um, which is, you know, its own problem. But, uh, you know, like in those, you kind of want to know the little interactions and, and the, the flavor. It's kind of what adds to it and makes it unique. Yeah, yeah. There are some where it's just like, OK, the thing I need from the game that I can't get is just like a clue about where I'm supposed to go. But you can solve that with a guide. You know, if you want to play like um, an untranslated uh, Zach Jack, how do you X A K? I don't. I okay, realize, okay. I'm realizing like now I've never heard it said out loud. I've only read it. If you want to play one of the untranslated one of those, you have to open up a walkthrough so you can be like, hey, go talk to this NPC because that will trigger like the thing you're that you need to go do. Um, <laughs> well, that's for, not helpful. <laughs> with, like that sort of stuff is fine if like the dialogue itself is not a huge draw or the story is not a huge draw, but like the gameplay systems work really well right like you can play the original dragon quest if you could if you if the original dragon quest was not translated into english is that right no i'm saying if it wasn't oh I if you, it, said, if it I you said you could play the and then i thought you said the original dragon quest wasn't translated into english i was like mark <laughs> is about to drop some knowledge on me that is just like i have never heard secret japan only yeah, dragon right, quest I wrote, zero i wrote about that in um, a book and i <laughs> what? no but like that game i feel like 
Oh yeah, it's, you could get it's away not with full it. of like the kind of enjoyable NPC dialogue. The, the original Japanese might have been, but like the the one that was localized with all. Oh like yeah, this, like, all you get, all you get is Elizabeth basically the king saying, "Hey, uh, yeah, you need to save the princess." But something with more like Minish Cap wouldn't be as fun. No. Um, if you didn't have the dialogue and like the interactions between, you know, your living hat that you were wearing and, and Link. Um, so there there are games where like, well, it's not going to be as enjoyable. And like, yes, the systems are good, but you're missing some of the like soul of the experience. Well, it goes back to your it goes back to your 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 um, philosophy with these games, too, and that like you're you're wanting to grade them fairly, like not just taking what is an obvious kind of. Uh, um hello cat uh yeah i was gonna say i'm not like cooing at you (laughs) well the first thought i had was like is that a child and i was like no it's not a child it's it's a it's a furrier kind of thing Mm um but yeah like i i feel like the i feel like the um the approach you have with these games to sort of like say okay i'm gonna like i'm gonna try and judge this fairly not just in terms of like okay what is the most popular one like on some level, that is the I mean, that's what you have to do. You have to understand the dialogue, too. If you can't, if that's a barrier that you can't overcome, then you can't create it fairly. And it has to be left off the list. Yeah. Yeah. So that ended up, you know, I'm not doing I'm doing an entire month of compile games. And I wanted to do that. But like, I didn't want to sit there with Google Lens translating <laughs> everything and making a 10 hour game take. I don't know if it's 10 hours, but making a 10 hour game take like 25 hours yeah sounds like it would be a lot yeah yeah um well uh, i'm 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 front loading this with all my conversation with you that i'd rather have so like let's let, let's get to what people are wondering about uh what is compile explain compile to me as if i am a, a tiny child um who has not uh talked to you about it already uh so you know me from like a week ago uh what is compile well they don't exist anymore trevor what so was it's very compile? insensitive what, what was what <laughs> um Compile formed in uh, 1982, I think. Okay. Um, they were like programmers three before that. Um, they were essentially one guy uh, who goes by Moo for his, for, you know, not his first name, but like M U, like the, like no, the guy M-O-O. from Chrono Trigger. M O O. Because uh, the compile, the compile people used to use their arcade initials. Um, oh, that's it was fun. the on- It was the only way they could fit their names in because they would pack cartridges and discs like to the max <laughs> uh, so they would often put their arcade initials in as their as their credits um but uh mu natani was the founder and uh president of compile and he was also like the only uh full-time employee for a while and um even before they were compile like there was some obvious skill involved there uh broderbund had them make the first japan developed game for an atari 8-bit uh system um, which is a pretty notable thing when you think about it. It's like, oh yeah, like there was an entire different ecosystem for game development at that point. Like it wasn't yeah. necessarily a worldwide, a worldwide thing. Right. Yeah. Um, absolutely. So you know, Space Invaders got a port to Atari systems or whatever, but um, this was like an original, original game. Um, so compile. They eventually renamed as Compile and started hiring on more people and doing more work. Sega contracted them to do a lot of stuff. They um, kind of went the Hudson Soft route for a bit, where they were doing more like ports um, at first and really getting people to like trust in their expertise and understanding of systems. 
and then the the original game started to come out a little more and they uh the big one that really launched them was uh xanak which was a shooter mm-hmm. that they did for uh pony canyon okay. and they made it for the msx and they made it for the famicom and it took the idea it's a zevious style shooter okay um even more so than when you normally say that sort of thing, because uh, it was just a few years. It was just a few years after Xevious, you know. Um, but unlike a lot of those games that just tried to do like a slightly altered Xevious, mm-hmm. this created um, this thing um, that's essentially adaptive AI. OK, so um, are you familiar with like a rank system? in shoot em up. I guess I should yes. explain this yeah, regardless because I'm not just talking to you. Um, <laughs> there is a larger audience, but I think I'm the most important part of it. But yeah, it may as well. So rank is not like um, where you rank, like what your score is or whatever. It's um, it is essentially how the game reacts to how you are playing. Uh, it's an adjustment made by the system itself, some kind of calculation based on your behaviors, how many lives you have, um, how many enemies you are destroying or not destroying, um, the weapons that you have equipped, um, how often you're shooting, things like that. Um, And the game will react differently depending on those various factors. So Xevious wasn't the first game to use a rank system, but it's since it is Xevious and it's like influential to the point that developers who have never made a shooting game in their lives claim it as like one of the most influential games they've ever played you know so is like uh, to sort of to sort of this is more for me than anything just because i'm curious is it similar to the way that like the the gre works where like if you answer a question correctly it will kind of put you on a better track for like harder questions and if you answer it incorrectly it'll sort of like track you down to to less difficult questions like adaptive AI in that sense, like it makes the game harder as it needs to be harder and easier as it needs to be easier. Yeah. Yeah. That's kind of the rank system, like um, kind of the base level. Okay. So Xevious would there like there are like some other wrinkles, obviously. Um, but so like Xevious would make it so you could lower your rank if you destroyed certain objects on the ground, these like towers that were there. Oh, so that way you could continue to be powered up and continue to succeed and not lose lives and not have the game just decide to like go biblical on you this is like when people lower their soul level in in dark souls yeah yeah so see what i mean by like not a shoot 'em up but this idea came out of you know um so you know xevious did that uh gradius i think is probably to western audiences is maybe more familiar because every time you get a power up did you know that the enemies increase in aggressiveness and um, and strength? The game becomes more difficult every I, time you power up. I didn't know that. My assumption was that by the point that I got power ups, um, that was the point at which Gradius became too hard for me. Just like in in a line, like yeah. I I I'm not good at these games. So, like but it when... became difficult because you picked up power ups. Oh, because every boy. time you power up, the enemies power up. See, that's just unfair. So it creates this interesting situation where if you're still dying a bunch, uh, the enemy, you know, you lose your power ups. So the enemies have become less powered up. Mm -hmm. So they're a little easier to get through. But if you are, if you're kind of blasting through and succeeding and powering up and, and, and doing really well, um, the game kind of rises to the challenge that you are giving it, um, to make it so that it's not 
a boring experience for you. And like the original Gradia still had a problem where if you got fully powered up, you could basically blow through everything. And if you didn't crash into something accidentally, you were probably good. But, you know, it was tweaked over time to make the the follow ups next to impossible if you were like any good and had no impulse control. Right. I mean, so like, let me ask you, is this is this um, how much of this is based on a need to kind of control for the arcade environment? That is definitely part of it, um, because you want people to keep pumping in quarters, but you want them to feel like they're getting it. Mm -hmm. So if you're just if you just make it a straight level of difficulty, that's like, let's say, 75 percent of like what it cranks up to. There are a lot of people who are just going to be turned away from the start. Right. You know, they're going to throw in a quarter. They're going to get obliterated. They might try one more time. They get obliterated again. Like it's a no go. And you need to keep putting in quarters. Yeah. So if it feels like they're getting better and the game is getting tougher and like the feel like the how good you feel for getting through those parts as they get tougher increases, you're going to throw in more quarters Mm. because you're going to feel like you're making progress and, you know, uh, you want to see what's next. So it does it does help with that sort of thing. Um, Because like the original Space Invaders had you know, that's like the daddy shoot him up essentially mm-hmm. um that had no rank system it just it just it, was what it was yeah like it had it had had it gave you rewards in scoring if you made it more difficult upon yourself mm-hmm. but the game did not tell you that the well, game did not like subtly do that it just kind of is a thing that people discovered after space invaders wasn't even popular in arcades anymore <laughs> like that's how hidden it was well it's a little bit like it's a little bit like um uh, I mean, it's a little bit like how a lot of those games work, right? Where like, essentially, you know, getting to, um, you know, just, uh, this is extremely seen King of Kong voice. This is giving me lots of King of Kong vibes. Um, you know, like it, it's it's like when you uh, beat these levels in a certain pattern, and you're 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 playing levels, like you're playing predetermined or nearly predetermined approaches up until you get to the mm-hmm. kill screen where it's like, okay, we don't have anymore. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, and since, you know, Xanax came out after that era was over when it was like, games can have endings. <laughs> yeah. Um, and it was made for consoles. So you had kind of different, different goals, you know, mm-hmm. being, you mentioned earlier, like, is this part of the arcade scene? So like you already gave compile your money. Mm-hmm. When you bought Xanax. So Xanax wasn't in arcades? No, it wasn't. And, but the, the fascinating thing is, you know, there, there was even back then a huge divide between like shoot 'em ups made for home consoles and shoot 'em ups from arcades. I would imagine. And, and Natani is like on the record in some uh, compile interview that uh, Schmupplations uh, translated as saying like the arcade people were very impressed with Xanax hmm. because they still managed to make. There was this idea that they were like a lesser experience at home because you were missing that like hardcore element, you know? Right. I um, mean, I, I could understand that. It seemed it would yeah. seem to me that like if you would make like just just, you know, from from an intuitive standpoint, it would seem like mm-hmm. if you made a port of a video game for, for the home console, you would want to make it so that the game was a little more easily beatable because you're not mining quarters out of these yeah. anymore. Yeah. And sometimes people would go too far in one direction or they would adjust and be like, actually, since they have it at home and we want them to keep playing it forever so they feel it was worth it, we're going to make it even harder. <laughs> you yeah, know, we've, like, we've all played those games. <laughs> but uh, so Xanax took that rank system 
and this is just like a form of rank system. It's this adaptive AI. It's a level con adaptive level control, I think is what they call it. No, um, yeah, it's some, something level control. Mm -hmm. um, and it is an ongoing calculation that instead of just making enemies more aggressive, uh, the complexity of like the enemy patterns, both in the formations and in the bullets, will uh, change depending on how well you're doing That's or how poorly you're doing. So part of shoot 'em ups is really memorization. So uh, I want to stop you here for one second. Sure. Tell me what exactly in your mind defines the shoot 'em up genre. Because I can imagine people thinking of a number of different. I mean, obviously, you know, anyone who's not familiar with video games, we're not talking about a first-person shooter. We're talking about, you know, something a little different. Uh, but there's there's all kinds. There are like vertical. There are horizontal. There are ones that have sort of like save states. There are ones that have power-ups and ones that uh, like Ikaruga that require you to sort of like live without on a certain level. Mm -hmm. How do you define the, the like a shmup? If, if I was to say like, oh yeah, this is like, this is a shmup. Like what, what am I, what am I saying there? What is, what is the, what is the idea? Oh boy, this is, you should have warned me about this question. I'm sorry. Uh, you can, <laughs> uh, <laughs> generally speaking, uh, <laughs> Um, Usually interviewers love when that happens. I always feel bad. No, no. <laughs> it's um, see, it's tough because there there's so many. God, there's so many subgenres and different ways to play. And I'm actually I've been thinking a lot the last few weeks about there are people who like hate compile shoot 'em ups because they're <laughs> they're like score obsessed arcade freaks. And I mean that in a complimentary way um, because I am often a score obsessed arcade freak when it comes to a shoot 'em up. But they they hate the. Um, that compile games are not necessarily scoring based. Okay. Um, and they're much more about like survival. Um, so I can't really define exactly what a shoot 'em up is, but I can tell you, it's one of those things I can tell you like what. Hmm. They have to be like, they have to be one of two things. Basically okay. they have to be focused on scoring or they have to be focused on survival. Okay. So it's very like score attack thing or just the challenge of existence. And so you're usually like what, like a little ship navigating the 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 dots on the screen, essentially. Yeah, yeah. Um, are you a are you a one hit one kill purist, or do you do you rank do you rate shoot 'em ups that allow you to uh, take some damage too? Oh, it's fine. I think as long as there's a logical system in place for one way or the other, it doesn't mm -hmm. matter. Um, like bullet hell shooters are one hit one kill, but they make your hitbox so insanely tiny. Yeah. That sometimes if you can figure it out, like a lot of it is just like patience and awareness of your surroundings. And those systems make a lot of sense. But then something like a compile shooter will often be like, okay, we're going to knock your weapon level down significantly if you take damage or you have a shield, but you have to like earn to get the shield a second time. Got it. Um, Systems like that are perfectly fine. And even stuff where you have like a health bar is fine. Um, there just has to be something in place that causes a choice, I think. Um, OK, that's it. That's that's an interesting way of thinking. So like the the element of choice, because so like w what I'm what I'm hearing from from your definition is like because I think like a lot of people, including myself, would would define um, 
bullet hells like or like shmups like within the idea of the shoot or bullet part right where it's like okay mm-hmm. you're a little thing that shoots bullets and you're dodging bullets but you're like the way you're describing it there that idea of like a choice right like what is what is the kind of what is the uh, what is that like what do you mean by choice and how does that how does that impact the the overall approach to the game so the the choice has to create some kind of tension in your behavior. So, um, for example, um, Gull Cave is a gar- as a uh, compile shoot 'em up released on the SG one thousand, the MSX, and the Master System. Okay. So horizontal scroller. Um, you have a, a barrier. You have a shield. You can take a few hits. Um, and what they do is make it so you can restore the shield only one way, and it's by picking up weapon power-ups, which okay. you go, well, okay, well, weapon power-ups, why would I not want to pick up weapon power-ups? <laughs> yeah, especially when they increase my shield power. Of course. Um, this game sounds easy. The weapon power-up is a, is a uh, I forget the name, it might be from like 0 to 20, and every power-up you pick up is a number, and that's what the power-up is. It's not actually a specific power-up, it is the number in the power-up that matters. Oh, that's funny. So if you pick up one that says three, you move three spots along the little grid and then it's like, OK, so now you you've gone from zero to three, which and three is, is good. Three is a specific kind of shot. And then it's like, oh, I, I grabbed a five. I've moved to five more spots. And this the, now eight is a better one than than three. Now you picked up a two. Turns out ten is worse than eight because <laughs> it actually is like ten is the same thing as what one was. It, it it's it's a little bit like um it's a little bit like the way uh, guns work in Contra when you're like you know you, I grabbed the flamethrower instead of the spread shot or something like that mm-hmm. like I guess technically I got a weapon upgrade but to me this feels like a weapon downgrade yeah and normally you would say well okay I just won't pick up I won't pick up the power up mm-hmm. that that is how you solve that problem in Contra for instance. But you can't recover your shield if you don't pick up the power up. Oh, no. <laughs> OK, I'm starting to understand the, the, the choice system there. That makes a lot of sense. So you're extra lives, balancing something. Mm-hmm. And to make it even more confusing, your extra lives if you extends. And the best way to score points in this game is to have barrier left over at the end of a level. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> so the only way to live is to get real close to dying uh-huh. Uh-huh. all the time. And I feel like being able to achieve that balance in a shoot 'em up, it is pretty it's not that it's not found anywhere else it's just that state in its purest form yeah no that that, that makes a lot of sense and it's also i mean i think one of the one of the benefits now that you're describing them like this like um yeah i'm i'm selfishly happy i made you do this because it is it is interesting (laughs) to me too it took me a second to get there yeah no no i knew you would uh (laughs) but like you know one of the really interesting things about Hearing you say that is like, of course, there are lots of games. I mean, I'm sure people are thinking of games. So they're like, oh, yeah, I play games that are like that make you kind of make choices and you're close to death and and et cetera, et cetera. Like, oh, it's like sounds like a Souls game or sounds like this or sounds like, you know, Rust or, or whatever. Like and there are a lot of games in the market right now that like emphasize this idea of being close to death. Right. Or like mm-hmm. having having a a a real. um deep relationship with with death uh, in these games like but i think also what you're describing in shoot 'em ups is this idea of speed and decision making being at kind of like this this radical premium in terms of like how fast you have to make it so like you know 
it totally makes sense that you that you are making these decisions and 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 calculations and stuff but also you have to do it within a moment or else it really doesn't much matter there are a lot of shoot 'em ups where essentially you have to begin to understand it at a molecular level mm-hmm. or you are not going to go anywhere like you have to <clears throat> you know a shoot 'em up is is working for you and like you are doing what you're supposed to when you will all of a sudden do something and like when it ends, you'll be like, I don't even know what I just did, but I know <laughs> that I did it. Like I would I would take clips playing Battle Garega uh-huh. and I would go back and watch them after I finished a run and I'd be like, I don't remember doing that, but I look like the best player in the history <laughs> of video games right now. Yeah. Just like dodging in and out between literally hundreds of bullets. Some of them that are like very difficult to see. And you realize that you internalize these patterns and like the feeling and the movement and you kind of just make those decisions without making them about the scoring versus survival. Right. Yeah, no, um, that, that totally makes sense. Like it, it reminds me of like my my one and only uh, shmup like experience uh, or serious shmup experience, which was like trying really hard to be good at Ikaruga, which I mean, never really happened. I was never really good at it, but lots of people aren't really good at Ikaruga. So I feel like that's all right. That's like a defining trait of Ikaruga. Yeah, it's very it's very hard. Um, but like the, you know, feeling feeling kind of like. You're getting to the point where if you like watch enough videos about it or kind of like understand what's meant to happen in it, you're like, oh, OK, like this is more about like once once you realize it's not about getting to the end of the level and like surviving, it's about making a choice of which enemy you kill in order to keep your score elevated. Mm-hmm. Um, once you sort of realize that you start seeing the level dif- differently. I mean, that what you're describing there makes a lot of sense where it's like, oh, yeah, I. I I didn't attack that one guy, um, even though he was right there, because I wanted to keep my streak as opposed to keep myself safe there. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, no, that that makes a lot of sense. It's it's um, I guess you'd say it's like non-intuitive decision making in a certain way. Mm-hmm. And I think that's part of what makes this this like adaptive system that Xanak use uh, that mm-hmm. Xanak and a, a bunch of compile shooters use. I think part of the reason that stuff ends up being divisive is because it is still it's not for score, but mm. it is very much leaning toward the survival. And the better you are at surviving, the the harder the game is going to make it for you to survive. I mean, which is which is funny now, because I th- I would assume like based on people's, um, you know, current video game mm. ingestion, the idea of survival would be more important than score. Like score is feels a little old fashioned in a certain way. Yeah. I mean, I, I like I said, I'm still a, a sicko for <laughs> score and I I post screenshots of like my ranking and like worldwide online rankings for shoot 'em ups all the time. Um, you should be proud. They're very good. Thank you. Um, but like I love that stuff, but I also really love the compile stuff where they're just like, we're going to get to the point. Of throwing literally everything that this program can throw at you. <laughs> And let's see if you can survive. So it's just incredibly satisfying to make it through and be like, you gave me literally the best that you could give me. Right. And it wasn't enough to stop me. Right. No, it's totally you feel I, I think it's part of the, it's the same idea behind. Uh, so you're not as familiar with shoot 'em ups, but you like a Metroid game a lot. Oh, yeah, of course. Let's, so, let's, you let's know see. how there's always that balance in Metroid where you feel you feel so fucking powerful. You feel like such a badass, but yeah. you know 
you are one wrong turn or enemy you haven't seen yet away from just completely wiping out. Absolutely. And just all of a sudden feeling so small and so inconsequential. And that is like a huge part of what makes Metroid work. The real the greatest shoot 'em ups just feel like make you feel like that all the time. Okay. Where you're like <laughs> You're feeling great. <laughs> you're like, I have this huge spread shot. I'm taking out enemies before I even see them. What horrible thing is going to happen? <laughs> yeah. Because the right. game will the game will adjust to you doing that and they're like, okay. Xanak and these uh, these compile style games would be like, I realize now that you have mastered these patterns, so we're going to change the patterns. <laughs> and so you can't just go in this repeating cycle. And it's not about enemy placement so much as it is in a lot of shoot 'em ups where the placement's the same. The aggressiveness and the number of bullets is really what changes. Mm-hmm. These are much more like, OK, so you figured out that pattern. So now the patterns are going to change or we're going to make the patterns happen in two places at once. Right. When your normal safe spot is now filled up by that other pattern that's on like a half second lag. So you will die if you do not instantaneously adjust to instantaneously adjust to what we have changed. Right. So all of a sudden you have to you have to add another trick to your to your bag of tricks. Like you can't yeah. just you can't rest yeah. on your laurels, essentially. Yeah, it's um, interesting. It's great. So there. Xanak is really fun. Like in some ways it feels very bare bones because it is a shoot 'em up from 1986. Mm-hmm. It's a vertical scrolling shoot 'em up from Yeah, I'm looking at pictures of it there. You know, definitely as you said the NES version looks better than the MSX version, but yeah. Um, that that's that's and, to be expected. Uh, it's still got so much challenge in it because of this adaptive uh AI, this mm. this level control system. And it's cool. It's uh when you play like the um the M2 shot triggers versions of a lot of these old uh, compile games. What are M2 shot triggers? Oh, so M2 is the developer. They're like the masters of porting games over. They Got always it. bring in people from the original games to like help them in what they're doing to make sure that the game actually comes out and feels the way it's supposed to on this different hardware. That's a great idea. Um, Sega uses them all the time. OK, um, they they do develop some original games sometimes, but they're. It, they're one of those companies where if if there's um if there's a re-release of something classic and M2 is attached to it, you know, it's going to it's going to at the least feel exactly like it did um, when it first came out. And at most, it's going to be the definitive version of it. OK, so they're incredible. And they have the shot trigger series, which is um, they add all of these extra bits it, it is the game as you remember it, and it is like played with like minimal lag input, despite the switch from, you know, CRT to, to HD sets and wireless controllers and all that stuff you have to account for. Sure. Um, it adds all that stuff, but it also um, includes these things on the side. I think they're gears is what they call them on the in, in like the uh, the letterboxing. OK. You know, because these are all pre HD CRT era games with letterboxing and a lot of them are are vertical shooters. Um, And it gives you all this information that before you had to, like, figure out on your own or just never know. So so like the adaptive AI calculation is happening in real time on the sidebar in the games that have it. And it means nothing to you Mm -hmm. like what the night, you know, it'll be like two, two, four of five, seven. And you're like, I don't know what the fuck that means. Yeah, what, what, what could I possibly be looking at there? Yeah. But you can see like, oh, it started at 20,000 and it's going up. Now it's going down. Now it's going up. And now it's way up. Oh, it keeps going. You know, right. So you have that idea of like, oh, I'm doing things that's making the game react. So you can see that in real time. That's super interesting. Also, 
it also lets you see all the little things like, oh, if you collect this number of power chips, you rejuvenate your shield or you get an extra extend when you have this many power chips or it's this many power chips to the next um, weapon, like a uh, main cannon upgrade sort of thing. Um, having all that information on the sidebar and in a space that didn't exist before, but was all calculated away from your eyes is, is fascinating because it really gives you a look into the guts of these things and shows you how much is actually going on. Sure. There's so much more than just like, hold the fire button. <laughs> <laughs> Don't get hit. So this is actually, this actually goes to another question I, I, I had about your list. And it, it's something, it's something that I, I wondered uh, idly. Uh, it's never, it's never really been something that I've worried about because like uh, having read your ranking lists um, and, you know, just like, having played some of these games already, even if I'm bad at them, um, I understand like how, how this is going to pan out and I'm not, I'm not concerned, uh, so to speak. It's not like, I'm like, how's this list going to work? But I do sometimes wonder, like, especially coming from the outside of it, how, um, how does one, uh, uh, sort of like understand the differences in these games? I mean, like, wait, I, wait I, uh, what, what list are we talking about? We're talking about the compile list. Oh, the thing I'm doing for paste. Or, oh, oh! I thought. Sorry, yeah, that's the thing you're doing for base. I, for some reason, I thought you were doing that in the uh, in the yard in the uh, newsletter too. Well, you. Oh playing. no, no the 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 shoot 'em up rankings are for paste. Thank you, Garrett. <laughs> well, the, um, so like, uh, sorry. Yeah, let me let me rephrase that. The you're talking about compile games and you're mm-hmm. thinking about rankings. Like this, this is something that goes through your mind. I'm assuming. Like you 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 do you think about shoot 'em up rankings, right? Like I'm not. Mm-hmm. I'm not crazy. Um, no, stop calling me crazy. I'm not crazy. No, there's uh, a part of my brain that's just constantly comparing shoot 'em ups. Okay, excellent. And thinking Perfect. about shoot 'em ups. This is what I needed to hear. Um, explain, explain to the audience because um, I, 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 I won't play totally dumb. I get it. I get that they are different. Mm-hmm. I am curious as to how you would explain their differences. Like, I, I think there's a very obvious version of looking at shoot them up some being like, okay, these are all the same. You fly your ship, you would, you would dodge bullets. Mm-hmm. Sure. I can see a difference between Xanak and Ikaruga, but they came out in like, you know, different millennia, mm-hmm. like, uh, essentially like what, w- how do you look at compile games and, and see a difference when they're all sort of, they look old. They, they have sort of like the press the button to fire thing. Um, sure. They have all these tech, all this technology, but it's all behind the scenes. How could you possibly, I'm understand like any sort of meaningful difference between them. Well, it's funny. It's uh, it is genuinely half an understanding the systems and figuring out if the systems are rewarding, if they make sense, uh, you know, are they intuitive to a degree? Um, I said rewarding. So, um, you know, just how, how it feels to play. Yeah. And if the game is like behaving within expectations to a degree, because, there's kind of a language of shoot 'em ups and you can as treasure did with radiant silver gun with Ikaruga, you can, you can kind of add new words to the language, mm-hmm. but you can't, you're still speaking it. You that know? makes sense. Um, so as long as it like conforms to all those, those kind of basic things, then, you know, yes, there's like, it's giving me X level of enjoyment from this. And then part of it is honestly just like the vibes of it. Got it. Which I know is it's vibes. I can't, necessarily nail down exactly what that means but like uh musha musha aleste for instance um there are people who think that game is a waste of 35 minutes <laughs> because it's not super challenging um the people who don't like 
when shooters aren't score focused get really mad they say it's broken because there's like a way to exploit early on to score a million points and get a bunch of extra lives but it's like well now you're not playing the game doofus who's like the one at fault yeah exactly well it's like i i had i had a moment where uh my, my son oscar has been getting really into playing uh games on the switch recently which is fun um mostly he he'll play them i mean like i did when i was five although i didn't have anyone to help me because um None of our parents could help, uh, but but now I can. So he'll play, you know, a little. He's almost he's almost able to beat level one in Mario three. Um, like he's he's sort of there, and he'll he'll get to a point and he'll be like, okay, I I need your help. Like please help me, um, or like can can I sit and watch you play this a bit? But he's getting really into it, and it, we were playing Mario three, and I I instantly my brain was like, do the do the warp whistle trick uh, in, in world three, like do the hold down on the hold down on the white block, and you can get a warp whistle and go anywhere you want. And I did it once, and then I was like, but wait, now he won't see the game. Yeah, <laughs> like now yeah. now the game is like not clear to him and this is just going to be kind of like not a fun way to to appreciate the like this as a as like an actual sort of like accomplishment by nintendo or whatever um and i think like there, there's something similar there where you're just like okay well you exploited something um great uh, you you've kind of ruined the game flow for yourself <laughs> Yeah, and I think they blame they'll blame like the company, you know, whoever made it for that. But it's like, but that's not that's like blaming Nintendo for leaving Super Metroid up for speedrunners to figure out ways to like break the game systems. Like that's not right. you were playing a different game. You were doing a different thing. If Musha released in arcades with that exploit existing, sure, that would be a problem. That would be you know? mainly a problem for the people who made Musha. Yeah, because no one would play it like the serious people would not get into it and no one would talk about it in a, in a positive light. The, the people who really care about that stuff. And I was like, you're playing this on your Genesis in your living room by yourself. Yeah. OK, cool. Like it's it's got an exploit. Nice. Whatever. I don't know. You could, there's item duplication in Tears of the Kingdom. Who cares? <laughs> right. Um, yeah, you can you can uh, you can do the little trick in uh, in Final Fantasy seven to to get uh, a bunch of mega elixirs. And that that could be one way that you beat the uh, the the ruby weapon. It's like that original Diablo is a real piece of shit because you could clone <laughs> items. But <laughs> what a useless game. Yeah. You know, <laughs> it's just it's it, that stuff is so weird. But uh, anyway, so. Musha, yeah, it's not the most challenging game. You can one credit clear it if you have any um, if you have any real familiarity with like shooters of like a decent challenge level mm -hmm. you know it's not for someone who's like a veteran of the genre it's not going to feel tough right okay um but but you are flying a mech through a sci-fi but uh, through a setting that is both sci-fi and like feudal japan that sounds great there is a fucking speed metal soundtrack playing <laughs> the whole time you're doing it the vibes are immaculate the screen is full of explosions the entire time and your hitbox is enormous because you are a huge huge mech it's not like a bullet hell thing mm -hmm. so you still have to if you don't know how to get out of the way of the bullets you're still gonna die you know um there, it's not like it's easy it's just not super super challenging especially with the way some of compiles games are that game is awesome even though it like doesn't it still feels rewarding you know because of the soundtrack, the way the soundtrack with the setting, with the explosions on screen all work together. It rules. That game is awesome. Yeah. Um, 
it is considered a classic now, but it was not enjoyed at the time. Really? Okay. Interesting. Yeah. People were essentially like, oh, another shooter for consoles, and it's whatever, <laughs> you know? They're like, it's so easy, it's stupid, it's, you don't understand what you have. Um, but now it's considered like a classic of the 16-bit era to everyone except for the people with that particular form of pedantry. <laughs> pedantry. Um, uh, it's it's tough to have it's tough to have pedant, it's tough to have pedant <laughs> brain like these people these people are living a hard life uh, they're they're fighting a they're fighting their own desperate battle too uh, it's true I should be I should be you should you should understand they're they're trying so hard uh, not to be the worst people in existence and it's just it's it's a it's a daily battle um, no I so, yeah I agree I understand what you're saying like it's it's it seems to me like you're like you're describing a genre that essentially has in place like a set number of rules that that have to be there right like you have to there has to be a shooting element ostensibly there has to be a uh, there has to be an element by which um you are um there has to be a way by by which like you are making choices uh Mm -hmm. based on either score or survivability Mm. And it has to be hard. Like there has to be a level of difficulty. But outside of that, it feels like the the things that exist beyond those things, right? Like the things that exist beyond um, those few requirements. Uh, that's where the the kind of vibe hits. That's where like you yeah. actually find the the variety in these games. Yeah, and that's you know then it comes down to some of it is just in terms of like your personal preference to things. Mm-hmm. Like I like Musha better than some people because I think the uh, seeing the backgrounds that they have and they're scrolling by at a million miles an hour and the speed metal happening like concurrently with that and all the exploit like all of that is just like every everything in my brain is firing and like a like the endorphins are just nonstop for 35 minutes yeah it, it is an adrenaline rush i love it um but there are people who prefer and I don't even think that they're not wrong because, it, again, it's just like a personal preference. There are people who prefer Super Eleste or Space Megaforce, as it's known in North America, um, which takes like an hour and a half to beat. It's exceptionally long, even for a compile shoot 'em up. Wow. They have like longer shoot 'em ups because they're home. They're not arcade. Um, yeah, because I'm thinking like, like Garuga takes 35, 40 minutes to beat if you yeah, have it on. And like, that's an arcade original you know? or whatever. Yes. Um, so. Like Space Megaforce takes longer. It's much more. The pace is much slower. Um, it emphasizes instead of being constantly full of explosions, it's filling spaces with more bullets and patterns to avoid. It mm. has a lot of obstacles that you're trying to get out of the way of. Right. So if it went too fast, it would be difficult to weave in and out of those things. Uh, it's a little more like planning. It's a little more thoughtful in some ways. Um, more. More. Um, more plotted out than uh, like reaction okay. and feeling, you know? Yeah. Um, and it's great. It, it's like an exceptional version of that kind of game. But if you don't, you know, if you like that better than you like the, the Musha style, then like, you know, you, you'd rank that higher if you like the Musha style better, et cetera. Right. I mean, it's like it, top it, of their field for the kind of thing that they are. And there's, there's these kind of differences. Um, got it. Between them. Um, it's a bit of like a, the, the you know, in matters of taste, there is no right sort of moment there. Like it, it could be it could be good. It, like there there's 800 ways that you could like or dislike this based on yeah. like, you know, which is better sort of uh, yeah. logic. But that's ultimately if they're both good, that that kind of doesn't matter. 
Yeah, that's why it comes back to like that first half of things I talked about. And you said there are certain rules that like you have to do and everything beyond that is like, well, OK, how, how does this like enhance or change the experience? Right. Um, so some, you know, some games will have a fascinating scoring system. Some will have uh, an inversion of expectations like Radiant Silver Gun, um, where it is the same game every time you play. But the more you play, in addition to your in, in addition to like the knowledge base you are building up, you are gaining literal experience points that you then like can enter into a, a next round with stronger weapons. Um, so you are better prepared for the challenge, both in your mind and like with the equipment of the ship. Mm. Um, Ikaruga inverted expectations by making it so that being shot by bullets is actually good instead of bad. <laughs> Battle Garega inverted expectations by blending, scoring, and surviving together in a way that other shooters didn't. Because, you know, we talked earlier about like there's a balance. Um, and it's you know, it usually leans much more one way than the other. Mm -hmm. And you have to make that decision about do I want to get a high score and probably not make it through the game? Or do I want to focus on surviving and making it through the game, but I'll probably have a lower score because of it? Right. Because you're not taking those risks. Battle Garega said you cannot do one without the other. You will not you will not survive if you do not score the points to get the extra lives to push you through the end of the game. And your score will not be high enough. If you don't survive, <laughs> that's really <laughs> you know? great. So it's a uh, you can you can do those things and. Yes, there are only so many ways to tweak the formula to stand out as like an all-time game. Mm -hmm. um, but if you play enough of these, you really can spot the differences and you understand like this is great. However, relative to what exists, you know, like for the kind of thing it is, it's like it's not that it's OK. It's just like it's middle of the road, like uh, Sylphia. Sylphia is it's a pretty good shoot em up. Mm -hmm. That compile made, yeah. But they made it on the. It's the. It's like the last full retail release shoot 'em up they did for like eight years, um, because uh, a lot of their shoot 'em up developers left to form uh, Rising, who made Battle Garega, uh, with former Toplin devs mm. after Toplin shut down, um, because the focus on compile was going to be like puzzle games, Poyo Poyo after that, because that was like where the money was. Um, shoot em ups <laughs> right. had like had their golden age and fight, fighting games had knocked them out of arcades. So now it was like those ex compile people were like, we're going to make shooting games specifically for sickos, not like a mass audience like this is now we are only for sickos. <laughs> Finally. Um, so Sylphia came out like at the end when like the sicko mode guys had left. OK, got it. Um, so they were still perfectly capable shoot em up people there, but it's like they made a pretty good shoot 'em up after making a bunch of all timers in a row and like technical marvels um, right. like gun came out for the NES after they had already done blazing lasers and Musha for 16 bit systems. Wow. And it's one of those games where besides the actual graphics, you're like, how did they make this work on the <laughs> NES? It's an, it's impossible. And Power Strike 2 is the same way. But for the master system where you're like, how is this on this 8 bit? thing that has like been forgotten about by everyone but Brazil at this point. Brazil, um, Brazil still loves you, Master System. The, the Master System is still active in Brazil. Oh, I mean, now. the 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 modding and 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 uh, and pirating and and just creative community yeah. in Brazil is unbelievable. So if you look at the the Wikipedia page for the Master System, you know, it has a it has a timeline for like when the system was active. 
And for every region, you know, it ended like when you think it did, like in North America, it was 1993 or something and or 1994. I can't remember. Mm -hmm. Europe was a little later because Europe also liked the master system a lot. Um, But Brazil is like. 1989 or 1990 through present (laughs) through question mark (laughs) like it's like oh they're still they're still doing that okay cool yeah they're um man brazilian game development is so neat Uh, it's so cool that that sega like found a region that nintendo didn't even like they had already they did the thing nintendo had done in north america and in japan to nintendo by like just already having posted up shop in brazil rocks so good um so I I have like and I'll I'll I think I'm gonna end today's show by letting you vamp a little bit about about these games. But like I did have one more question that I wanted to ask that um, since I have you on the phone and then I can talk to you about it and get your full thoughts as opposed to a text. I figured I'd ask now how much of this how much of the the shoot 'em up genre is um, simply sort of like a an impenetrable genre for sickos. Like I'm thinking I'm thinking. <laughs> You know, I'm thinking in some ways of um, the uh, why am I forgetting what it's called? Um, uh, the um, Toho, um, mm-hmm. like there are the Toho games, which I, I mean, I, I'm a big defender of the Toho genre in general. I think, I think it's kind of amazing what's been done there. I think it's actually like super interesting, and you know, people people get turned off because there's you know the it kind of looks like a strange game with like a lot of anime girls or whatever in it. We already said Moe once on this podcast. You know, it's fine. <laughs> we have to keep saying it. Um, but uh, Travis touchdown voice. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, like I think I think the like the you know like there there's this feeling maybe within uh, certainly within like I think the the community in general that like or the, the gaming community in general that some of these games are just like impenetrable. A part of it's because like a lot of them are untranslated, at least in their um, at least like in their Steam pages. So like you, mm-hmm. you're buying something with an extremely long Japanese name and it's like, well, I don't I don't know. What's what's this thing? <laughs> um, another thing is just they're they're really, really hard. So, I mean, I guess my question for you is how how is how much of this is a is a genre that is truly kind of impossible to to grasp by outsiders and how much of it is just like you know you have to give it their chance i don't think it's impossible to grasp i think there's a very good reason why you cannot navigate steam any longer (laughs) is it because of porno no. Okay. No, you could shut that off. Oh yeah. Okay. It's not because um, of porno. Got it. But you can't shut off the um, the action, like the the dungeon crawler, roguelite, bullet hell games. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like little bits and pieces get taken from shoot 'em ups constantly and inserted into other genres because there's something there that everyone can do. They just maybe are intimidated by it. But interesting. I watch like you know I watch my wife play Hades. And she she thinks she can't play a shoot 'em up to save her life. I'll watch her dodging all these like intricate bullet patterns coming out of bosses from Hades. And I'm like, you're it's like you're doing shoot 'em up stuff right now. You know that, right? Like pattern memorization and dodging and avoiding damage and all like this. That's like the heart and soul of the thing you say you can't do. She says, that sh- you're shut, doing. shut up, Mark. Let me look at the attractive uh, mythological <laughs> people. <laughs> 
So I think there's like a there's a reason that other games and other genres take from that one. Um, Space Invaders was so popular when it came out that, you know, a myth developed that there was a quarter shortage in Japan. Oh, that's funny. I thought you were going to say the, the myth of the uh, that the CIA put it out. Um, <laughs> what? You've never heard that one? That, that That's like the the um, some Dale Gribble shit. I think I think like it's the uh, yeah, I know. I think it's, you know, the last Starfighter and then that. What's the what's the what's the game? Um, the the kind of like creepy pasta uh, arcade game um, Polybus Polybius, um, which like is is like a, a creepy game that like people played and went insane and it's like you know meant to be put out by the CIA to, to like, oh. test test like uh, mind control or whatever. But I think like you know this all came from the idea that like. You know, maybe this was testing people for hand-eye coordination or whatever. Mm. No, they just do that now. Yeah, <laughs> that's, that's that, join the army. Yeah, that's called play, um, that's play Call of Duty instead of America's Army because yeah. we couldn't quite get the dev right. Right, exactly. Um, it's it's not even that hard anymore for them to do. They love they love doing <laughs> it. Um, yeah, I, I think people can get in. You know, uh, like I said, Space Invaders was so popular that like a myth came out about. It's quarter you know, shortage of Japan. That's the really level funny. of popularity. Galaga was a huge, huge hit. You know, Xevious is one of the most influential games ever, like we said. And uh, design lessons are still being taken from it. Um, I think it's just the the thing that is impenetrable is finding the starting point. Mm. You need someone to help get you to that starting point. You need to find. You need to find that entry point because. I mean, we said earlier, and uh, uh, shoot 'em ups were knocked out of arcades right. by fighting games. Um, so I think, and you know, arcades are essentially as they were then, are like a thing of the past now. Right. Of course. Um, I mean, that's yeah, that's absolutely true. Like it is, it is something that you are not going to find in the world. But you, you go to like a round one or whatever. But yeah, but you had your entry point in the past, mm. and people took it. You know, shoot 'em ups used to be a thing that helped sell consoles. Um. You know, what made the Atari uh, 2600 so successful in just the idea, the concept of you can have video games in your living room was that you could play Space Invaders there, you know. Um, and I know shoot 'em ups have come a long way, but man, Space Invaders is ridiculously difficult. There are like two people who are what you could call good at Space Invaders in the world. <laughs> um, I'm serious. The, the person with the high score is like. 75% ahead of the second place person who is even further ahead of the third place person. What? Really? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. It's it's weird. It's so difficult and so tough to score a ton of points on that people just don't like the people who might be good at it don't bother to play it. That's really um, they, interesting. They play other games instead. Um, but like that game that is essentially that people are going, no, that's too that is not worth it was the most popular video game on the planet at one point. And I know there were fewer games back then. But I think that says something about, like, if you can give someone the right entry point, like, right. that little that little sicko seed can be planted in them, too. And they can, they can figure it out. Yeah, um, that, that's really interesting. I, like, I, I would almost, I mean, I would love to see, uh, I mean, maybe, maybe some of the compile... Uh, work you're, you're doing for paste and then also just like the stuff you're thinking about in the newsletter and everything maybe that sort of solves this problem in, in, in a certain way but there's there's a part of me that would love to see um 
like a recommendation from you to people about like where to even start with this kind of stuff like just like uh here you so, so you wanted to get into <laughs> to yeah no, that's shoot a project um that's, that's a good idea that's a really yeah no i because I, I i really like i really like the way that you you describe it there which is like you just kind of need your entry point um yeah which i think is true of so many things and especially in gaming like you know you you're not going to be able to get into um, fighting games if someone doesn't like if you're not playing fighting games with your friends or whatever. Like if you're mm -hmm. if, if you're sort of in a situation where you're like, yeah, I, I just I picked this up randomly and now I don't understand it. Yeah, it's going to be like intolerable. Um, mm -hmm. But if it's a situation where you're like, you know, you, you have someone sit down with you and you play a little bit, and you have fun and, you, you know, someone throws a controller, it gets irritated. It's like then you're like, oh, I get it. I get it now. Um Thinking about that with with shoot 'em ups just makes sense. It's just it's they're just a little more esoteric than some games. Yeah, I just uh, you know we live in a world where Elden Ring can sell what? Oh God, twenty million How copies, twenty five million yeah. copies. Are you going to tell me that that same world is full of people who just can't get into shoot 'em up? You know, like yeah, what is what is Elden Ring but the understanding of systems and patterns and reactions? Is that's the line from uh, Wanderverse, right? That everyone liked. <laughs> or uh, whatever that was called WandaVision yeah thanks Trev you're welcome thanks um, but seriously like what is that game I, I don't even mean like no you're right or you're, whatever. you're absolutely Just, like, right like I, I shouldn't I shouldn't make fun because you're absolutely correct like it is it is a um, it is this sort of like I don't know like approach to gaming that I, I don't like has a, a a kind of like persistency to it where you have to like mm -hmm. stick with it and find the pattern in things and find how to do things and if you're able to do that then you're gonna like be able to unlock another way of playing the game that'll unlock new difficulties and yeah i mean it's not philosophically it really isn't all that different yeah it's the same mentality that lets me die a million times in celeste <laughs> yep before in like trying again it's the you know I, it applies elsewhere. You just if you don't. And, and so I'm not saying everyone has that because some people are like, no, I die three times in a row somewhere and I put the game down forever. Yeah. I mean, there are people and that's fine. Just, I, like, I think one of the things that, that yep. I feel like we as a as like a community of people who talk about and play video games need to understand. And, and this is something that you certainly understand. I'm not saying that you're the person who needs to understand it, but I think like in general, <laughs> like is the fact that there are people that just don't like video games in general. Like, there are people yeah. who don't like a lot of things like, you know, you're never there are a lot of people who play video games. You don't like. Video oh, games. yeah. Well, that's that's its own problem. <laughs> but, Rimshot. Uh, but like, I think like, you know, the like you could my, my wife is like is is just cannot understand video games. Just absolutely intuitively does not like playing them and does not understand them. And like to the point where she's pointed out that when um, she's alone with Oscar and he's playing the switch and he needs someone to help, he gets very frustrated and doesn't even <laughs> ask her. <laughs> it's just like, well, you're not going to be able to help. Uh, and you know, there are people out there who it just, this kind of stuff doesn't click for in the same way that there are like people out there who aren't really into serious film or aren't really into serious literature. Like this, mm -hmm. this exists. And like, I feel like on some level we are obsessed with this this concern over 
not accessibility because accessibility is fine, but like um, approachability. That's the right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Approachability, where it's like, well, if people aren't going to like this, if people can't get into it, then it's a then it's a problem for the genre or for like you know uh, considering considering uh, you know the the seriousness of this in general. Mm-hmm. And, and I think like you know if people like shoot 'em ups. Then they're gonna like them. If people don't like shoot 'em ups, then they might not like them, <laughs> and I think that's yeah. fine. Yeah, I just think there are more people who would like them, yeah, than currently do like them, and I, I wish it were easier to funnel people toward it. But yeah, it's um, the genre is nearly as old as the industry. Yeah, um, I mean, so, I, I think. There's a there's a there's a version of the world where you could say that uh, or there's a version in which you could say um, asteroids is a shoot 'em up. I don't know if I'm going to say that. Um, it is. But I think you could say it is. I, yeah, it's a it's a it's a multi-directional shooter. It's a twin stick. Yeah. I mean, come on. It's it's all right there. You're dodging things. I mean, there's no choice that you have to <laughs> make in fairness. Hey, teleporting is very dangerous. The hyper, the hyper speed thing. Well, I you guess. might, you might end up right in the middle of an asteroid. Well, that's more. Isn't that? Isn't? I wonder. Is is that a choice or is that a desperation move? Isn't a desperation move a choice? Well, the, the choice is between dying and making a desperation move. Um, that's a good question. Yeah, I mean, is it a choice at that point? <laughs> this is. Do you have enough time to make that decision? <laughs> <laughs> Are you watching the game carefully enough? Um, <laughs> No, you're right. You're right. That's that's very interesting. I wonder. Yeah. Well, I mean, once you get down to granular, a hard tax, it's very hard to figure out any genres other than is this a visual <laughs> novel or not? And even then, um, my my hundred my hundred page dissertation, uh, why Metal Gear Solid is a failed visual novel is, uh, is just not picking up any any steam. But someone's going to recognize it someday. Uh, I hope it's Hideo Kojima so he can finally just like embrace who he is. Um, <laughs> write, write a visual novel, for God's sakes. Oh, his adventure games are so good. They really are. Yeah, I mean, well, Snatcher's amazing. Except for, except for the, uh, the protagonist of Police Knots is just such a creep. You know, I was never able to get Police Knots to work. I think because I was trying to do like Saturn emulation on a laptop. I'm going to actually have to play that for real. It's a really good game. It's just like in, in Snatcher, the protagonist is a bit of a perv, but like everyone around him judges him for it. Yes. And in um, Police Knots, they're essentially just replaying stuff from Lethal Weapon, like the daughter thinking he's attractive, um, except and he's like a super pervert. Uh. Except everyone is just like, oh, giant perv, you know, <laughs> and like, don't give him shit about it. And it's like, this man is gross. I don't like this. This is a gross man. Yeah. yeah. A great game. You know, it's just like Kojima reel it in sort of thing. <laughs> Kojima is the king of having to reel it in. Let's let's yeah. be real. Um, I don't know if that's a thing he knows how to do, which, you know, it works more often than it does. I mean, that is part of the reason he is so good at what he does um he doesn't reel it in maybe he should be making shmups i've that's part of the reason the toho guy is so good too he doesn't know how to reel it in um anyway is there anything that you want people to know about about compile about shoot 'em ups about your approach to uh to writing about games or all of these things in in tandem and together well, it's kind of funny that you know we were. I, I started out with like answering like who compile is, and then 
turned into a treatise on shoot 'em ups, which is, you know, a lot of who compile is. Uh, <laughs> but compile, like, there were a lot of other things. Their most successful series is Poyo Poyo. Mm. Um, they. They also made action adventure games. They were always ambitious about things that they were making. Um, the shoot 'em ups were often like technical masterpieces and showcases for what a system could do, mm. uh, either after the system was already like out of style or if it was just kind of coming into it. Like Musha is absurd. One of those things where like, oh, I didn't know the Genesis could do any of this. Um, <laughs> right. And Power Strike 2 is, you know, the master system. You think it's done. And it's like it had so much more to give if you just knew how to how to coax it out of it. You just you 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 left it too soon. Yeah. Uh, you know, the, especially this obsession with moving on. It's gotten worse over time. But this obsession with moving on to like the next generation of hardware it, without fully getting everything you could out of the previous one it is really bad like it, it it's so bad like the ps4 is basically like a new system like you could just you could do whatever you like there was no reason that we needed a ps5 it's so funny i have um you know my my general rule like there are there are caveats mm-hmm. uh but my general rule was like i can't write about a game at retro xp unless it's 10 years old mm-hmm. like minimum um, that seems like a decent rule yeah and it was fine because it was like oh that's you know PS it, like I'm getting late era PS3 games and Xbox 360 games and like 3DS games already feel like they're a little older, even though they're not, you know, because they weren't HD, you know, right. right. Um, but now it's like as of this month, November 2023, um, the PlayStation 4 is 10 years old. Really? Oh, yeah. So it's like, oh, I there are some I games you could write to, about on the PS4. That's interesting. Well, no, I'm not. I'm not going to do that because <laughs> <laughs> so, it's like. I was already stretching the definition of retro. No, I understand what you're saying. You know, yeah. at least with the PS, like the PS3 and Xbox 360, it's like, well, I was in college playing those. I was still living at home, and now I am 37, turning 38 in a few months. I have two children. I have been married. You know, I've lived in a different state for over a decade now. I've, you know, all this stuff. Mm-hmm. And it's like, that at least feels like there's an age to it. Mm-hmm. PS4 is like two weeks ago. Yeah. Like, they're still making some games for that thing. I mean, there's a like because I mean, it's because like the I don't know, it's because they, you know, when you when you have a system like the PS5, which is more a it's more of like an aspirational idea than a real system. Um, I feel like, you know, you have to make those games because otherwise people are going to like feel like they don't have any connection to your company anymore. Yeah, it's tough. I don't know. It's a chicken egg thing where it's like, okay, are the developers the ones pushing this because they want to play with fancy new toys and do fancy new things? Or is it that they get to play with that fancy new stuff because people are always expecting some new graphical like trick? Um, I, I mean, I have to assume on some level it's the it's the second because like I feel like every time you talk to a dev about like getting a new uh, dev box or something like their dev kit or whatever, they're just like, this sucks. I hate this. I hate <laughs> that I have to do this and understand this. It just feels like we don't wait as long for the transition points anymore. Because mm-hmm. um, I think about like. Kirby's Dream Land 3 is a 16-bit side-scrolling platformer that was able to, like, 
it looked as good as some 32-bit side-scrolling platformers. Mm-hmm. But the only reason it did is because it was made by a developer that had been working on that system for nearly a decade. <laughs> right. Who knew every single possible trick you could do to pull anything you wanted out of it. And it's a stunning-looking game. Like, to this day, it has the best style of any Kirby game. Right. And yeah. It's just like abandoning the hardware. I understand why the hardware gets abandoned. It's just a shame that things couldn't be concurrent. Like, why couldn't the 16-bit Genesis have stayed supported while the Saturn was there to come up with a different kind of gaming? You know, um, I think of the lifespan of the NES versus the Famicom, Mm -hmm. which is like the Famicom came out in 1983. And we think of it in terms of like 1985, 86 and, you know, with the NES. But that was like... They were still coming out with games for that 11 years after. And if you look at the games that did come out late on that system, like Mega Man 5 and stuff, they're just like technical marvels with really great gameplay systems and just memorable things about them. Yeah. And it's like, man, what if more developers spent time here, if they had been allowed to spend more time here and like mine these systems for what they're worth? Um, and we, I don't know, we just don't get that now. The Switch is like the closest thing we have to it. Oh, yeah, because that's, I mean, that's just like a moneymaker. Because it's so, never it's gonna... last gen, yeah. you know? But like, look at Tears of the Kingdom. Look what Looks they just great. did with Tears of the Kingdom. Yeah. And Super Mario Brothers Wonder. The backgrounds in that and the animation in that are incredible. I think the game honestly looks just okay in stills. I was not very impressed by what it looked like, just like in a screenshot. Mm-hmm. But like playing it and looking at it animate and everything... It's a beautiful game. It's a stunning game. Mm. It's the kind of game that, like, it's not quite, like, comparable to Kirby's Dream Land 3, I think, but it's that idea where it's like, well, let's use all the technical know-how we have yeah. for the system and do something beyond what people think the capabilities of this are. And you just used to see more of that, but now I feel like the late-life games are a lot of, like, eh, we actually made this game with the new system in mind, so here's a shittier version. <laughs> right, of it. yeah, it's like playing playing uh, uh, Final Fantasy VII Remake on the PS4. It's like, well, yeah. this is great, and uh, I can see why it's a good game. Uh, the issue is, like, it's, I, I need it to play better, and you're like, you're not you're not helping me with that right now. Yeah, it's um, you know, everyone was like going nuts over the the instantaneous fast travel in Spider Man Two. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, well, yeah, it's cool that we have the technology to do that. But like, that's not exciting <laughs> to me that, oh, no loading screen. Like, I don't, I don't care, man. Like a loading screen is a time for me to take a sip of water or something. Like, I don't really care People that much. hate the loading screen. It is it is like an utter, utter anger. I mean, for some things, sure. Like, but if it's just a couple seconds, who cares? Do you want to wait two seconds for the... I think a propane truck is behind me. Oh, yeah, you're allowed to wait two or, seconds. Oh, man, is it a fucking leaf blower? No, it's the propane truck. Okay, yeah, let's just wait for the propane propane truck to go. Yeah. Because if, if, if you could hear the cat earlier, I feel like that is... I can't hear it uh, now. The propane truck? Oh, if you can't hear I it, can't. Then, that's, no. then that's fine. I can't. If the recording's not picking it up or whatever, nope. then... Nope. Um, but uh, yeah, I'll, 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 I'll let you go. Like, I, I know we've, we've been here. No, 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 no. Um, That's fine. I, I wanted to, I, like, I, I guess like the. Because I feel like we're cutting off in the middle of something. Oh, no, yeah, you're right. Like, I think, you know, one of the things that, that I think is, is very true about. Um, like, one of the things that's very true about, about like game development in general is that it's, it's, it's coming up against the same things that a lot of um, quote unquote, like serious um 
I guess like serious. Uh, I'm trying to think of how to say this, like film and stuff, right? Like film, when we get to new technology and film, all of a sudden, like it, it becomes harder and harder to actually, um, becomes harder and harder to watch uh, or to make film. I guess making is the, is the main thing on film itself, right? Like the, the supplies are less, the, the ability to actually like view this stuff is less because like it is, it is just a, it's kind of something that like people consider to be a lost technology. Um, and because it's a lost technology, it's like, well, okay, then we'll move on to doing everything in digital. And on some level, I think like, video games have reached that moment where it's like, okay, we've succeeded to the point where uh, every new technology is the next technology and we're not going to wait on the other stuff. Any sort of small improvement is going to be the next improvement. Um, I also think that, or the next normal, I also think that we've come to a point in making video games where it's no longer, like, I think, consumers by and large like back when the nintendo was switching to the super nintendo or whatever that switching graphics was everything to consumers that was like it right like that was such a huge deal and i feel like now there is like a subset of people a big subset of people who are interested in returning to other older technology to see what can be done with it to see what kind of like beauty you can like pull out of you know dedicated 16-bit development and stuff like that um i'm not so sure i'm not sure that's going to like produce the same kind of stuff as like oh you know <laughs> like martin scorsese filmed this on uh, 35 millimeter or whatever and it's like it's the most beautiful thing you've ever seen who knows if it's going to get to that but it is an interesting sort of um uh tendency i think you do get so like uh games like zero ranger and void stranger that have come out in the last few years are clearly using older technology. You know, they look like like looks like a Game Boy Color game or a Game Boy game. Um, but the, the like storytelling and the narrative and the ambition is clearly a piece of like the modern video game landscape. Mm. Uh, and that kind of marriage of old and new is fascinating because uh, obviously the tech creates a lower entry point because um, the costs are lower yeah. to produce it. Um, but you've got all this like, you know, you've got some pretty tall giant shoulders to stand on here at this point uh, in the industry's uh, existence. Absolutely. So it's an interesting way to like both be looking forward and looking back at the same time. And it, it, that, that kind of indie scene feels like the place where it, it works the best. And I mean, the actual indie scene, not the like. I saw you talking oh. about that on on. Uh, was it you who was talking about that on Twitter where it's like. Yeah. Where I'm like, Dave, the diver is an indie game. Why? Because it didn't cost $60, yeah, you know, right. like. And I'm not even making fun like that. That is that is that what it takes now? You do like cost twenty dollars or twenty five dollars in your indie? Is this how we're doing? I really liked I really liked your 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 questioning there because it was like it really was like an open question of like, well, is this what what is this? What <laughs> I, I need to understand what's happening here. Yeah. Um, and someone responded to me to say essentially indie is just a vibe now. <laughs> like um like it is with music or whatever. It's like, oh yeah, a major label can release it and you can still call it indie because it has that like sensibility in the actual music. And it's like, well that's Words mean things. That's probably true, though. I mean, it, not not in a yeah. not in the positive way that maybe uh, that commentator meant, but uh, in in the way that yeah, like 
anything can be indie now because well, yeah, we just someone we, said hi-fi someone said hi-fi rush was indie and again i'm not i'm not making fun it's just like this was developed by wasn't developed like, by studio <laughs> yeah it's like bethesda published it bethesda is owned by zenimax and zenimax is owned by microsoft yeah you can't if bethesda is publishing it it's not that's like yeah, yeah the and it's not even like it's bad. It's just like you have to you have to be able to sort of like determine if you if if you're like if you're actually interested from a like at a genetic level of like what is the best indie game or a generic level I guess is mm-hmm. better of what is the best indie game of the year. I mean it it doesn't make any sense to be like oh and that includes like um it includes every major release. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, you're you're just at the point where um, someone pointed out they're like, well, like Nyan Falcom is more indie than the Dave the Diver dev. So it's like, well, where's Trails of Azur's nomination? <laughs> you know, where's Trails of Reverie's nomination? Um, God, because they have they have 60 employees, you know? Yeah, I mean, like, that's closer. They are small. If they don't make new trails in East games, they die like that is <laughs> like the studio is over. Um <laughs> Yeah, if you're asking NIS America to to publish you or whatever, like out, outside of Japan, you're probably not a huge outfit. <laughs> um, yeah, I, know. I, I, I do wish more just to go back. Yeah, I, I wish more companies would use the older tech and like mine more of it. So it's good that it's good that we have the switch and people who are like have studios that are happy to make games on that because it will cost them less, which means they can take bigger swings on some things. Um and uh, I think games like Xenoblade and Tears of the Kingdom and Mario Wonder. I know I'm naming all first party stuff, but like, I didn't know you liked. The, just, I didn't know you liked the Xenoblade games. That's weird. <laughs> a new thing about interesting. Me. Um, yeah, never written about it or talked about it before. Yeah, that's a, you should. I think people would really <laughs> like it if you did. But those are those are like beautiful games that do very impressive things visually, um, and like use the power of the system pretty much to the max. And like that's fine. You should keep doing that. Yeah. And you should figure out ways to to work around it. If you know, again, come back, come back to Compile's mastery of the master system, which no, they released it in Europe only. It didn't even get to Japan until the Aleste Collection came out in 2020. Mm-hmm. That was like the first, you know, That's everything crazy. comes out in Japan first, made by Japanese developers. But this, no one had a master system in Japan, and no one was using it. The one they did have by the time 1993 rolled around, so they released it in Europe and Brazil. Um. It's a if if someone didn't tell you it was a master system game, I don't think you'd know. You might not know what it was, like what platform it was. Mm-hmm. You might think it was an early Genesis game or something. Right. But yeah, I think I you you would have to be told that it was a master system. Interesting. And um, Gun Knack is sort of the same. Like Rekka is another one like that for the NES or the Famicom, where um, how the fuck did they do that? <laughs> You yeah, know, I mean, how, I, how did they? They do did it by by. I guess like yeah, it goes to your point of like these are just people who who know the the they know they know their 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 like um I'm trying to think of the best way to say this. It's not form necessarily. It's mm-hmm. like they know they know the 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 material. I guess like the yeah. the 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 thing that they have to produce. They know that so well that like. I mean, effectively, it is um, like effectively, it's a it's a um, it. What do, what do you call that? Like um, 
what is it when like like institutional knowledge is that what yeah that's what it's yeah, called yeah, like yeah. like the idea of of like yeah you know what like you if you lose this you lose the chance of having someone who is able to um explain and and confer um you know this this general sense of of of, of knowledge about the game um because they have developed in that so long. Once you lose the actual development system, you lose that institutional knowledge as well. And all of a sudden it's like, well, now everything is just going to be very straightforward using the graphics and those clever workarounds or whatever, like using, you know, three letters for your name instead mm -hmm. of anything else, because there is no room. <laughs> we have to do this. Uh, those, will, those will go away. And that's a that's weird. Yeah, it's it's amazing. There used to be limitations to what you could do mm -hmm. and the workarounds and clever ideas that came out of those limitations will often be like one of the most memorable parts of a game or a game experience or the thing that picks up traction and is used by like other developers and other games. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm not saying there are no limitations now. I just I'm, when when you can make a new Call of Duty and make it 150 fucking gigabytes. <laughs> Yeah, what, what limitation did you have in any of the like what what limitation was in place for what you were doing at any point? Yeah, in the in the in the cycle. Well, I mean, it goes back to the sort of like question that modernists have, have were asking, you know, years and years and years ago, which is like, if you if you like don't have a limit, then what's the sort of like direction of your artistic approach? Mm. Um, and I think I think it's worth asking. And um, I mean, to sort of like draw it back to compile, I think it's I think it's I I admire your approach to thinking about these things because it 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 kind of like um, it forces a sense of constraint upon the question itself, and mm -hmm. in doing so, produces this um, I don't know the sense of. Um, not artistry, but like containment um, that that makes the questions you're asking much more interesting. Hmm. You always make me sound so smart. Oh, I do my best. You know, it's <laughs> largely what I'm um, here for. I, so one of the, the I guess the, the final thing I'll say about Compile before this turns into a two hour episode <laughs> is <Close>. um, <laughs> they a part of my part of my attraction to them is probably because their their ethos was very much like they made the games they wanted to make for the systems they wanted to make them for. And that oftentimes meant that people weren't buying them mm -hmm. or seeing them or whatever. Like, that's not what they were trying to do. Um, you know, we had a discussion about Treasure a couple years yeah. back on the podcast and how they were really like a precursor to, to like the modern indie scene and uh, very boutique. And Compile wasn't quite boutique because I think their output was much too high to be labeled something like that. Right. But they came out with a masterpiece of a Master System game in 1993 when no one was playing it. I know I've already said that a few times, but it's worth, they came worth out repeating. with a, they came out with a Famicom game in 1991. After I think it came out a month before the Super Nintendo landed oh, that's, in the U.S., <laughs> it had already been in Japan for like a year. Such cursed time, and they didn't care. <laughs> well, they did it on purpose. Well, they wanted to do what they were doing. You know, yeah. they were like, "No, we have this idea for an NES game. It'll be cheap to develop because the technology's already solved." And like we can do something really impressive and cool for the people who still have this system. 
because the install base on the NES was still higher, but a lot of people are saving their money for the SNES, or that's the only thing they're focused on at that point. They sold their NES to get their, you know. Oh, I remember. Um, I remember those days. It, so, actually, like I, I even remember to sort of to your point, like uh, when when I got my uh, Nintendo uh, at Christmas time, like I remember my dad shopping around for. I forget if I if I thought it was Santa who got it for me or my dad, but like. If, it, if I was supposed to think it was Santa, it was pretty bad OPSEC by my dad. But we had gone into a store to like sort of like gauge this and be like, oh, like, you know, like how much would it cost to get a Nintendo or whatever? And I think it must have been like it was when I was like five. So it would have been 1990, I guess. Mm-hmm. And I remember the clerk was like, well, the Super Nintendo is coming out like soon. You might want to just save your money for that. <laughs> and it's like yeah. it's such a funny thing to say because like I spent so much time playing the Nintendo. <laughs> like I was just... I was constantly playing that thing and to to imagine like, oh, yeah, I just didn't buy that because I got the new system instead. It would like I would have missed out on so many things. And the release window between Mario three and Super Mario World in North America is very small. Yeah. Like because everything came over later, you know. Um, but yeah, there were still plenty of reasons to own an NES. Oh, my I God. Just... Yeah. I mean, like think about how many people have like unbelievably positive memories about uh mario 3 i mean just like that alone kirby's Kirby's adventure wasn't even until 1993 wow and it doesn't even look like an nes game in so many ways but again you're talking about a developer that knew how to squeeze everything out of a system it's such a gorgeous game kirby's adventure it's so cool it makes super mario brothers 3 is obviously like unimpeachable in so many ways but kirby's adventure just visually makes that game look like shit (laughs) Um, which is just a credit to Kirby's Adventure for being able to do it. Yeah. And, it's, you know, it's a fun game, obviously, on its own, too. Um, so Compile did, like, they made Gun Knack for the NES, which has a weird concept and is, like, after the NES's prime, in especially in North America. Right. Um, they, you know, Blazing Lasers is one of the most, like, influential shooters going. Oh, yeah, like, that's a classic shooter. Direct an entire generation of shoot-em-ups on home consoles. Came out in a system nobody bought in North America, like, in the biggest market. Which system's that? Uh, Turbo Graphics oh, 16. Yeah. <laughs> so like it did it did great in Japan, you know, because the PC engine sold well out there. But like that's the only place that system sold well. Hmm. So they've got it's like here's one of their most influential works, one of their greatest pillars. And most people didn't play it or hear about it or anything. <laughs> um, they were always doing things like that. I told you uh, in a text yesterday about uh, a shoot 'em up they made that was an episodic shoot 'em up that they only released through their disc. Um, Oh, my God. Disc station. Uh, I'm doing air quotes magazine. Right. Yeah. Um, which was you paid for a disc that had a bunch of games on it. But the only way to, f- to even though the MSX2 was out at that point to fit other games onto that disc, they had to make it for the MSX. So they've got this technology that's like old and outdated so and honestly isn't that good for shoot 'em ups. And they're purposely making a game on that because it fit their desired it, it just like fit for them and what they were doing. Right. So it's like, no wonder they didn't make any money yeah. on anything ever. Um, they were doing it for love Puyo, of the game at a certain point. <laughs> Puyo Puyo was like the only thing they, they made that like definitely always sold, you know, everywhere on like in worldwide. Um, and they ended up having to, to temporarily sell the rights to or they thought was temporarily temporarily sell the rights to that to Sega when they declared bankruptcy in 1998. Wow. Uh, thinking they would pay it, they would like get the money back and get it back and like have Poyo Poyo again. It was even set up so they could continue to use the rights, even though Sega, so Sega was like holding on to it for them. Mm-hmm. 
But then the repayment date came and they didn't have the money, oh. which is why Sega still has Puyo Puyo oh. and Compile is no more. That's brutal. Um, but it's just essentially a company that ex- existed for 20 years, made a ton of bangers, never made them like for the systems people <laughs> had ever. Yeah. You know, um, God. And it's just like so looking back, you're like, how did no one how didn't they not become this huge deal? But it, they were definitely just one of those like your favorite game developers, favorite game developer kind of situations. Right. Which I mean, it go, goes back to the indie question, right? Like it's like, well, why didn't you know? Why didn't like this band that everyone loves become more popular? It's like because they didn't have any money. Like they, they couldn't. They couldn't do it. Like it's <laughs> well, even even when Compile existed. So after 1989, um, a bunch of their developers left and formed Sting. Mm. Which just made like Baroque and Classic Studio, uh, yeah. Igri Union, and uh, you know all this other stuff. It, like they're great. They make some weird games, but they're great. They do Dokapon Kingdom. They, you know, I don't know. Worked with Atlas a lot. Um, but they lost like a chunk of their their talented people then. So it's like okay, we can't probably get, can't make new versions of like the dungeon crawlers we've been making because guess where all the dungeon crawler people are? <laughs> right. And then. Not all, but most of the shoot 'em up people left. Oh God! To form Rising. Okay, well, there you go. Um, after in 1993, and the Poyo Poy, the original Poyo Poyo people left. So that's part of why, like, the art style changed over time. It wasn't just new technology; it was because there were like new people making. Of course, it. which I mean, um, absolutely makes sense. It's like yeah. it's you. We we'll go back to that institutional knowledge thing, and mm-hmm. it's it's neat that that was able to be. I don't know. It's cool that that was able to be sort of like passed down through the industry too. like the, there are mm-hmm. still like artistic and interesting people doing this stuff. I think that's that's really um, I don't know. There's something very hopeful about that. Um, oh, yeah. I mean, Rising went on to make some super influential shoot 'em ups, you know, Battle Garega. I've already name dropped like a bunch of times mm-hmm. on this, but, you know, they were great. And um, and then they closed. You know, sure. Naturally. And Compile closed. So. Then, like, remaining Compile split off into multiple companies. Compile Heart, uh, which still exists, is now at almost as old as Compile was when it closed. And they make incredibly niche RPGs, and they just make a ton of them. Wow. Make so many of them. Like, them and Idea Factory is the publisher they are a subsidiary of. Idea Factory is, um... I can't believe I'm forgetting the name of that. The people who made, like, Karnov and uh, Magical Drop. Data, not Data East. Yeah, Data East. Oh, Data East. Okay. Yeah, so Idea Factory is former Data East, and Compile Heart is former Compile. Um, and they're just like oh. essentially one company. Interesting. Um, and but they also uh, then other Compile devs went off and formed Milestone, which made <laughs> they didn't try to make influential shooters. They tried to make weird as shit shooters, and they're great, but they're weird. Um, and Milestone closed, so they formed R34 is what I think it's called. Okay. And they like they have the the rights to all their Milestone properties, so essentially it was a name change. Yeah. Um, it's so, it's so and wild. they're still making those games now. So all those compiled people, the institution of knowledge you talked about, they're still in the industry. Yeah. You know, they're just like, Compile is no more, but the spirit of Compile has broken up into multiple pieces. But now I, th- I think it's fascinating because we've come around to a degree where Sting works on games with compile heart now <laughs> so basically and it's just it's it's getting the band back together in a certain way m m2 owns the rights to aleste now <laughs> and is working with compile heart that's really funny <laughs> so it's like oh man all these people are like 
getting back together to do projects. So we're getting a new, uh, I'm gonna, I don't know how to say this, uh, Madao Monogatari. Okay. Which is the dungeon crawlers that Poyo Poyo characters came from. Okay, excellent. So we're getting the, the first brand new entry in that series, like the first numbered, brand new numbered entry in that series since like 1991 is coming out and Sting is developing it and Compile Heart is publishing it. And it's like, wow, some of the people at Sting might have worked on those games originally. And some of the people publishing it might have worked in those games originally. Um, and, you know, through all these like rights loopholes you have to jump through because D4 owns the Dungeon Crawler series, but Poyo, uh, Sega owns all the characters. Because oh <laughs> they're in Poyo Poyo. <laughs> it's this weird dance that has to happen. But like what a mess. D4 and Sega are like, no, fine. It's fine. Go make one, you know. Well, yeah, I guess um, I guess in general, like Puyo Puyo is not particularly <clears throat> popular or not particularly profitable for oh. them anymore. Oh, I think I. Th- but I mean, I think like, it might be. They, uh, they just did two games with Tetris in a row. That feels like a big deal. <laughs> I mean, I guess like I guess popular, but not or, you know, popular and profitable, but not in terms of like IP. Right. Like you could use the characters. And not to make a matter. Oh, yeah. yeah. And I mean, it's in their original context, too. But yeah, because Compile Heart made a like. It's funny to call it a remake of Mad Monogatari mm-hmm. in like 2013 for the Vita mm-hmm. because they had to change the name, change all the characters. <laughs> oh God. But it's like the same. It's the same game, basically. But like, oh, there's not a little redhead girl now. It's a little blonde girl. And the slimes that, you know, are not the enemies. And the little skeleton, you know, from Poyo Poyo is not here. You know, um, it's, a pre- it's like pretty funny uh, that they did. They called it like Sorcery Saga. Which I think is just the translated version of the name mm-hmm. to a degree. Yeah. Uh, so it's, it's pretty, it's pretty funny the workarounds they've had to go through. But God, yeah, compile is still with us, just not as not as compile. Um, and I'm glad they're going to be doing some more interesting things because compile art makes some good games. They also make some like they're just all right. They're they they don't always make stuff that like pushes boundaries like compile used to, you know. And, the way um, you're the way you're describing it, I'm glad that you clarified because I, I thought you were just going to be like, they make some good games. And then like the other stuff was just like <laughs> like stuff that you felt. Oh, OK, actually, never mind. They make Hyperdimension Neptunia, which I is like one of those ones you have to be kind of sort of. OK, yeah, they make some yeah, they make some exciting, be... exciting games that you can see some 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 yeah, beautiful I'm ladies. Say, in. I'm just going to say Moe for the third time on this podcast, uh, this episode <laughs> of this podcast. Uh, there's a lot of that shit. There's going to be. Yeah, I, was, yeah. I was playing one. I was playing a dungeon crawler that's actually like it's a decent game, but the the one of the main mechanics um, is they go into all these all these women go into a like super power up mode because they like lick the blood of another one of them. Oh god! And it sends them into some like kind of like blood rage. I mean, on one hand, um, and I'm just like, mm. okay, that's what we're doing here, I guess. Well, but, the mechanics. But are what sad. if the gameplay is good? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. That's what you have to ask. <laughs> I'm like, it's not the weirdest thing I've played. It's probably not the most perverted thing I've played. <laughs> That's fine, I guess. Um, but then I was also like, oh, there's 100 hours of this. I don't know if I'm going to do that. Uh, I mean, I think so. You know. That, you know, that's kind of where they are. Uh, so I'm glad that they're. I'm glad that they can get access to the stuff that Compile Heart doesn't own the rights to, you know, and I'm glad that D4, even if I can't easily get it, is like re-releasing these games that they have the rights to and. It's nice that someone as trustworthy as M2 picked up the Aleste collection, the Aleste uh, series, yeah. and is making new ones because Aleste is like a crown. Like uh, Blazing Blazing Lasers is not an Aleste game. Mm-hmm. 
but it's in that style. So if you like that game, there are basically a dozen others that you would also like. Um, and having those. That's what nice. Nice. Having those like shepherded by the the right people is um, is good. Well, I happen to agree. Mark, I wanted to ask if people found this interesting, which they should have. Um, if you didn't, don't tell me about it. Where can they find more of your writing on that topic and more? Uh, so retroxp.substack.com is where my newsletter publishes. I usually do uh, two or three, two or three pieces a week. I try to do like nine, 10, 11 of these a month. Really kind of depends on what's going on in life. Otherwise, um, that's where most of my writing is. But I also contribute a couple of pieces to paste each month. Mm-hmm. And uh, the editor there, Garrett Martin, is really great about letting me like this month. You know, I read about Super Mario Brothers Wonder which is obviously like it's a big deal. It's a Mario game. That's like a big ticket item to write about. Yep. But he's also letting me rank the uh, 20 best compile shoot 'em ups, which is I wonder how much of the audience knows compile made 20 shoot 'em ups and actually made more than 20. Sh- you know what I mean? So, it, so you're not you're, you're saying that's not a uh, big ticket item. No, but I appreciate um, I appreciate that he lets me do that sort of stuff where I can bounce between something like, you know, talking about the new Mario game or then just vamping on a studio that's been closed for 20 years um, that left an imprint. Most people don't realize it's an imprint. Yeah, Garrett's great. <laughs> he really does get it. Yeah, yeah, he's great. Um, so that's where most of my writing shows up. I occasionally appear on Polygon. Probably not often enough to say that, <laughs> but just gives me some credit. I think I you're guess. allowed to say that you occasionally appear on Polygon. I don't think anyone's yeah, going to like. I don't know. I've, how many times do you have to appear before you can mention it? You know, I'm know. not sure. That's a very good question. Um, um, <laughs> it's more than once. Has it only been Although once? I think the. I think no. The other one's forthcoming. It's just been like in the hopper for a while. I, think, I feel like you I, can I, say it. Then you're allowed to say it. All right. I finished way before they needed to publish it. Yeah, so well, hooray for me. That's a. That's more of a you thing than a them thing. Just, yeah. just kidding. That's that's exactly um, what you'd want. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. That's where that's where most of it is. And then, um, did I show up on this podcast sometimes? Yeah, sometimes you do. <laughs> yeah. You're on this podcast many times, so be sure yeah. to uh, go back and check out Mark's old old episodes. I mean, I'm pretty sure you can find them as easily as I can, but uh, um, maybe I can find them more easily for you too. I'll I'll give it a look. But uh, there's tons. There's Mark on Zelda. There's Mark on. Uh, Treasure. Uh, what else did you come on? Assassin's for? Creed. Oh, there's Mark on Assassin's Creed. Yeah, no, uh, go back and listen. They're all good. Um, there's Mark. Uh, you came on an episode with me and Liv at one point. There's all sorts of Mark out there. So yeah, I think I, I feel like I've got six or seven. At this yeah, point. it's 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 quite a few. When you can't remember what they were anymore, that means you've been on a you've lot. Just kind of hit the yeah, point. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I can remember like three or four, and then it's like, well, there's more than three or four. Well, I, that, that's fine. Yeah. Then I think I think it's fine. <laughs> Um, all right, man. Well, thank you for being on. Go follow Mark at all those places. Um, uh, Mark, Mark Normandin, wherever you, wherever your uh, media is consumed. And uh, we will have you on sooner this time around. Hooray. You know, I'm up to talk for two hours. Fantastic. Hear myself talk all the time. I mean, I like it too. It's, it's my pleasure. All right. Talk to you soon, man. Yep. Hey, thanks for listening to No Cartridge. If you'd like to support us further, please consider going to patreon.com slash no cartridge or for a one-time donation, paypal.me slash Hegelbon, H-E-G-E-L-B-O-N. It's really, really helpful for all of us to be able to support uh, the many people who make the show, uh, you know, myself included, but also our producers and various co-hosts. 
um, and, and writers and artists. Thank you so much for listening. Please remember to like, subscribe, share, any of those things that would let other people get the quality video game analysis that you've grown accustomed to.